0: to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, a place where the Elder Scrolls community can come together to discuss the boundaries of our knowledge about the universe of the Elder Scrolls. Welcome back adventurers. It is time again for the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. I'm your host, Tom or Robots, and I'm here as usual with my good buddy, the Lotus of Doom. Lotus, How you
1: doing? How you how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. This is um, today was my last day of work until next week, as I'm going on vacation to the beach. So nice. Yep. So I get to do this and then be a lazy slob for like four days in a row. That's great.
0: (laughs) Everybody needs a good lazy slob you know, yes, lazy slubcation. It's a, supposed on to still
1: be raining an awful lot, but you know, whatever, you know, the beach Fine. is beautiful in the rain. It, it, it can it, be, you know it what? Can be I'm nice. just happy to, yeah, I'm just happy to not be working. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. I, I'm not picky. That's good. That's good. Well, welcome <laughs> yeah. back everybody. We're
0: talking about Lotus's uh, favorite topic. We, <clears throat> we, uh, we mentioned it a little bit last week We're we're current, we are deeply into our weird and wacky lore and theories. Uh, this is this weird sequence. As, it gets, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so you know we, we've we've we kind of dove in the deep end. This is only the second uh, of these that we're gonna do. There's a few more that we could we could knock out. Some of them, some of the theories and things are a little bit shorter. This one's one of the longer ones. And what we're talking about today is coda. We've talked about coda a little bit, and we're gonna go into this in detail. And I think we might cover this in a little bit different way than we normally do because, friends. I want the weird to soak into your soul. I want, I want to immerse you. I want to baptize you in the
1: fluids of, Kirkbride kirk Bright, kirk Bridean fluids there oh, you go that, that no that's not a that's not a noun i want anywhere near anything from kirk <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna we're just gonna douse so many you windows i don't feel like fluids is good here <laughs> or, we're gonna douse you
0: and just make it saturate your every part of your being wow. and yeah right. yeah so yeah so this is the second in our weird and wacky series um if you didn't listen to the last one, go back and listen to that one because that one's that one's a good one as well. These I love. This is part of why I love the Elder Scrolls stuff is because of the weird and wacky stuff. And yeah, it's only grounded sometimes, right? And the potential for the weird and wacky, and you mm-hmm. know, everybody's everybody's got like their weird, like, uh, oh, Thanos did this thing in in Iron Man two, and nobody knew it. Like weird fan theory stuff. This is like l- even deeper than that kind of thing. So anyway, so anyway, that's that's what we got going on. Also. Um, I don't know that I can say anything other than, hey, did you hear about QuakeCon? That's coming. Yeah, that's probably as much as we should say about that. That's it. (laughs) QuakeCon, also big deal. You guys are going to love it uh you should t- tune into that in a few weeks and it's going to be awesome there's gonna be all sorts of cool stuff I personally that, that was announced today quake con yes so.
1: QuakeCon. i wish QuakeCon actually had a little more quake i really want a new quake game i'm not gonna lie yeah i know I, love quake. I like the one that's out but i actually really like quake i love i love i love the uh like quake one style quake yeah stuff. the old school arena shooter that had such a. We- All right, this isn't a quick cast. Yeah, this isn't a quick cast. Set the, so, the setting's real cool. Setting's are real cool. All right,
0: so just, just, we'll give you a little nudge, nudge. You better, better go check it out. It's going to be awesome. All right, so um, coda, coda, and it's spelled C zero D A coda. And so what what is Coda? So let's just get into this from the beginning. Coda is a script for a 64-page digital graphic novel authorized by the ex-developer Michael Kirkbride, who we talked about last week when we talked about Pelinil Whitestrake. Pelinil was one of his creations. And um, I did get a uh, on our YouTube video, somebody corrected me and said that Pelinil actually shows up in Redguard. Although I didn't realize that. So... Maybe maybe I was don't wrong about remember that. Yeah, I don't. I didn't find info I played about that a either. while ago.
1: I haven't. I need to replay that on stream, but I, I played that years ago. Interesting. I don't remember Pelinal being
2: yeah.
1: in. Mm yeah i'll have and, to yeah i'll have to look more into that i'm glad i'm glad that was mentioned then because i i don't recall that yeah so um i
0: cool. i don't know much about that either uh i haven't been able to find more info about that yet but mostly because i didn't think to look about it look up more stuff about it until right now that i'm thinking about it so uh, i'll have to dig in, into that some more but today we're talking about coda so this is a, a graphic novel by or at least a script and it reads like a script so we're not going to read it out because reading a script on a podcast is weird. It doesn't really work very well. But we are going to go over a summary of this. And I, like I said, I want to immerse you guys in the weird that is Coda, but a little bit more about it before we get into it. So Coda's background is introduced in the text, a love letter from the fifth era, the true purpose of Tamriel, which brings some insight into a few aspects of Coda's lore. Most importantly, the concept of the Amaranth. The Amaranth is a state that lies beyond all existence and the means to create a brand new universe. It was designed to present the nature, natural end point of the Elder Scrolls mythology coda's timeline officially begins with the current unreleased text known as dies irae so i-r-a-e said to feature a catastrophe a catastrophe resulting in the death of the three good daedra three good Daedra. a lot of this stuff is referenced to morrowind and dunmary
1: kinds of lore and culture it continues yeah, this is very much more tie tied like it's basically it's yeah. almost <laughs> the way i've always looked at coda um just before we delve into it too, too much is kind of like if you drop oblivion and Skyrim and ESO and pretty much anything that comes after Morrowind and you let Michael Kirkbride do elder scrolls Mm Four, this is more of the direction of that. Right. Um, Right. So, so that's kind of just has always had the flow to it. Um, And obviously, as we just mentioned with the fifth era, it jumps a bit ahead more so than the games already jump ahead. Yes. Yeah.
0: It takes place in the uh, the end of the fifth era, which would tie it into like, for example, Skyrim is the beginning of the fifth era. So this would be like way later in the fifth era because technology and things are very different in this. it goes on, it says, uh, and this is this all comes from the Fandom.com wiki. I usually don't use the Fandom.com one, but it has a good summary, and so that's why I'm using it this week. Um, uh, it continues with the short text, The Prophet of Landfall, which depicts the arrival of the Numidium and the very beginning of Landfall. Numidium, if you guys recall what that is, um, that was the
1: big uh, robot thing that was created. Also- just because I know that it would cause me to scream at my speakers as well. Skyrim was technically the fourth era. I just wanted oh, I'm to sorry. double. You're right. I, 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 thank you. Theoretically, yes. had Alduin succeeded, we might have gone into the fifth era. Right. No. No. You're right. I'm um, sorry. I, I yeah, just, j- just pulled the wrong it's number one of those my Things head. where I was like, "Ooh, that would like poke at me" because it was like, "Oh God," and I know it's just but no what you meant. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> thank you. I'm sorry. It was uh yeah, no just Pulling
0: wrong numbers out of my brain. Yeah. Um, it is uh, So it's heavily implied that the Numidium's return was caused by its siege of Alinor, which lasted from the Merithic era unto long into the fifth, according to Coda. The prophet of landfall is followed by another unreleased text referred to as Stringendo, which progresses into the partially released text Landfall Day One. This text depicts the events leading up to the refugees escaping Nern on a ship known as the Wonderweir not Wonderwall, Wonderweir, uh, including <laughs> including the erasure of the Altmer race and the Nerevarine's confrontation with the Numidium utilizing Akulakon, Akalukon. Maybe that's how you pronounce it? Uh, Akula, Akulakon. Ooh, Akulakon sounds kind of neat. Akulakon. Sub- I like that. <laughs> the sub- Go with that one. <laughs> and final text is Coda itself bringing a hypothetical end and new beginning to the Elder Scrolls lore. So this is, again, this is this is deep stuff it's fairly wacky and weird and we're gonna we're gonna get into it one other thing i wanted to note before we read it is according to the fandom site the main purpose of coda was to encourage the idea of the elder scrolls lore as a living open source world that anyone can freely contribute to and reinterpret in their own personal manners for this reason coda was released alongside the website tomorrow wind today a site for other people to feature their own stories. The text itself cannot really be interpreted as canon, more so it attempts to persuade the reader to deconstruct the idea of canon entirely. The story was also designed to address several of the mysterious concepts introduced in some of Kirkbride's earlier works, as well as The Elder Scrolls III, Morrowind. So, I think this is where a lot of the confusion comes in because we get like okay This is to inspire you guys to use the foundation of the lore However, you want to write your own stories and your and create your own worlds and expansions on the lore, right? Like create fanfiction is basically what this is saying, but then at the same time it's saying it's not lore It's not actual official canon But at the same time it works out some more of the concepts that were in Morrowind In so, ways that may have been originally intended right. question mark It's also
1: so as much as I've made it known that like, this is not super my thing, but um, it's not like I want to convince anybody else that this is bad. It's just not something I personally like an awful lot. Mm -hmm. Although at the same time, it's not without some kind of neat things to it. One of which is this to me has always kind of been interesting just because With Elder Scrolls Online and with talks, you know, publicly with the lore master, where they like the lore is, you know, the lore is yours and it's all about these interpretations. It's almost like this is an even more extreme version of that. Like Mm -hmm. they actually reined it in. (laughs) And that's one of the things that a lot of people were, like, oh, well, there's canon and then there's like it's like actually nowadays it's actually more organized than even it was before because of stuff like this, where it was so much more open or, or intended to be open from, from Kirkbride's thing, which that is cool. I, that's one aspect of the series that I like. It's everybody's interpretation. There's no hard, this happened. Well, I mean, things do happen, but it's always yeah. like yeah. in real life, when something happens, oftentimes the recounting of said stories are those that carried it on, which tend to be the victors, and you get their spin on it. That's kind of how all of Elder Scrolls is told, except it's not always from the victor's perspective sometimes, based on who you work with. So it's just a feature of the game I really like, and this is almost like an even more involved version of that idea. Right. We never do get to
0: objective truth, and just like in reality, we never get to objective truth. Most people operate like they have objective truth, but The truth is (laughs) ironically the truth seems to be that we don't get to objective truth even though that
1: sounds like an objective truth statement um (laughs) and actually before we move on uh so tes benefactor from the imperial library is actually with us in chat Mm -hmm. and um One thing that I did not know is when Michael, uh, when it first came out, Michael Kirkbride apparently tried to abolish the idea of canon from the series, which totally makes sense. That that is totally in line with this. That tracks perfectly. So that's an interesting little tidbit that I did not know about. Yeah. Yeah. So here, let's get into it. And I don't know if I
0: will read this. The summary is fairly long. I don't know if I'll read the entire summary all at once without stopping, but I want to. The summary is big. (laughs) Yeah, I I want to get through a significant portion of it. Let's just say that, and then we we may dissect some of it, and then take a mid-break, and then finish it. So I I think maybe we'll go about the first half or so. So here's here's and this is this is where I want you to wallow around in it. (laughs) So put on put on your swim trunks and dive on in with me. Here we go. Sometime well into the fifth era, a catastrophic, I already messed up the words, a catastrophic <laughs> event known as landfall has forced the surviving inhabitants of Nern to take refuge under the surface of the moon, Masser. Those refugees who escaped from Morrowind have reformed a sprawling new community known as Ald Safa in the Velothid, also known as Morrowind II, built from the burrows of titanic worms. The winds on the moon's surface make it too hazardous to traverse. When the winds die down during periods referred to as landfall season, all inhabitants of Velothid are permitted to make pilgrimage to the moon's surface. However, the dangers of the journey deter most people from taking it, and because of this, many have forgotten where they originally came from. The narrative opens on... Jubal Lun Sol, a Dunmer noble of the old salt merchant house, Sol, a bloodline said to be registered by Coda. He is overlooking from the balcony of his under manor, reminiscing about his first pilgrimage and and consultation with memory, capital memory, and the capital wheels of Lull, L-U-L-L, not (laughs) L-O-L. The setting flashes back to the year 5 E 892 during the 88th landfall season. Jubal Lun Sol travels with his wealthy friend Halalu Hir H I R through a worm tunnel on what is to be his first pilgrimage to the moon's surface. Jubal appears sheepish and slightly anxious, while Hir, here, we'll just call him Hir who has clearly made the pilgrimage before, is much more optimistic. Upon exiting the tunnel, they look upon the remains of Nern. now the wheels of Lull, an interlocking skeleton of fiery debris, gears, and other mechanical apparatus, as well as what appear to be incomprehensible mathematical equations. We may just Damed want to equation. stop here because um, there's there's definitely some things to dissect in this as as we go. Um, I was thinking we would just keep going, but I think we need to. Okay, so one the the way that the words work when uh, Kirkbride writes things, this idea of like under manner, like he's inventing a lot of words and combinations of words to describe things. What I would assume he thinks as um uh to consolidate descriptions without having to describe them in more detail but really that just makes you go what is that (laughs) right this happens a lot
1: that's done a lot in the 36 lessons of vivek as well though like that's that's kind of like a style um that kirkbride has and one of the things that i always kind of say is flowery um with his writing but it's one of the One of the things where some people really, I think, like that style of writing, but it's almost like you need to have your own separate encyclopedia on his terms because they're never actually explained most of the time. Right. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of references to races and planes of existence in the 36 lessons, for example. That literally aren't in the rest of the series so like why would you have a grounding point point? and it's like well maybe he didn't get to them, or maybe they just didn't explain them or come up with them yet <laughs> like it was just i always think of them as kind of information to one day be and these are just perpetually unfinished works but i don't know if that's really what they are it's just how they've always struck me personally sometimes i feel like he just thinks
0: certain things sound cool and doesn't have I, a hard concept of it and so he just I
1: inserts it will agree with that as well i could um, i could be wrong but I, no that's something that i i tend to kind of agree with um you know and for better or worse like i said i think some people really like that style of writing even if it's not for me personally which it isn't right but
0: so this last section um they look upon the, the remains of Nern. Now called the wheels of lull, interlocking skeleton of fiery debris, gears and other math- mechanical apparatus. So who knows is was near mechanical to begin with, or was the civilization down there just developed enough that they had lots of me- mechanical things, and then appear what appear to be incom- incomprehensible mathematical equations. How do you see that, right? Like, what does that even mean? Are pieces of paper flying around with math on them? Like that doesn't I mean, that doesn't make right. any sense,
1: right? And I guess from the way that I was saying that like he speaks very flowery um, or, or, you know, very poetic is many people are essentially like when you're watching Twitch, like we're live right now, or you watch this on YouTube or you listen, theoretically those are, if you want to be fancy about it, you could say you're staring at mathematic equations. Sure. That's not right. really what, the best explanation would be, but you could put it like that. So I almost wonder if, um, without jumping ahead into the TV section, uh, I'm <laughs> almost wondering if that's part of what it is. Like m- maybe he's right. referring to some type of screen or something like that, or, you know, is a, is, is something like a, a car, a Dwemer sphere. Technically that would be based on mathematic equations. Maybe sure. he's poeticizing a, physical construct or something like that right a lot of
0: this can be chalked up to potentially poetry right Yep. um so it's like poetry s- like stuck within prose um yeah there you go <laughs> so uh it goes on and says uh, back to the present day here visits jubal in his undermanner, and jubal appears hesitant to share the results of his marriage proposal to the high alma all almalexia high alma there's Could be. there's uh, there's commonality in those words here a busy man and in a hurry demands he spit out the news to hlalu hears astonishment jubal excitedly states that the high alma had agreed to marry allow him to marry her daughter here both cheerful and confused wonders how jubal managed to convince the high alma to agree to a marriage so far outside of her caste confirming here suspicions jubal states that there is a catch that he must hunt a specific thing to prove his worth. Given it is sacrifice season, capitalized, here believes the High Alma has sent him on a suicidal pursuit to kill a worm. Jubal denies this and states his actual target was picked by memory, capital memory, that he must hunt and kill the Numidium, a notion here finds amusingly ludicrous. Jubal Loonsol and Hlalu Here travel together to a corner club owned by Here. Sitting in a booth, Jubal says he needs a cat. A request that Here is reluctant to fill but eventually gives into. A skinny kajit comes to their table and hands over a bag of skooma on the house, which Jubal smokes from a pipe. Jubal then perceives himself back in the velothid worm tunnels. Though different from before, he is greeted by the ghostly wheels of lull, with, quote, women's eyes appearing within its cogs. Again, more poetry just kind of stuck into the prose, right? Jubal and Heer eventually find themselves walking through a multi-leveled marketplace at Sotha. Uh, privately overseen by here's family for reasons concerning Jabal's marriage. The friends are interrupted by two mysterious ghost-like apparitions in the form of fingers referred to as the Digitals. <laughs> the Digitals point at Jubal accusingly, seemingly frightening the market's crowd into hiding. Something glows to the left of Jubal, but he pays no mind, instead telling the Digitals to quiet down, as their loud noises are distressing the pedestrians. While here attempts to turn Jubal's attention to the growing light to his side, in which the people are truly hiding from, the Digitals accuse Jubal of trying to be a condescending groom. Jubal asserts he is merely shopping for a weapon, to which the glowing light reveals itself to be Vivek, who states that he may be able to help him. Okay, time to pause again. (laughs) So we have these two walking through a, they're getting visions of things, right? They decide to go shopping for a weapon. Fingers, ghostly fingers appear. Everybody runs and hides. And then they realize that they're actually hiding from this other ghostly thing that appears, which is Vivek himself, who is supposedly dead. And has been since the events of Morrowind. Right. So are they hiding because he's a ghost? <laughs> like, I mean, to the people who worshipped him, he wasn't scary. They loved
1: Vivek, right? Like, Sure. <laughs> and can you kill something like Vivek? I mean, it was left open-ended. Where right, it was, it like, was left okay, open-ended. He, so it's like, you know, it's, I mean the wonders of Morrowind are uh, you can pretty much do anything you want. Yeah. (laughs) Literally where just you can corrupt the game by just going crazy and murdering people that are quest givers and stuff like that. So it's like, if The intent is to keep canon so open. You know, maybe this is what he had intended for Vivek to do. It's like, oh, well, was he dead or did he float off? Can you kill a god? Can you not kill a god? It's all very, very ambiguous. So it might literally be a spirit of Vivek or it could be Vivek. Like, again, it's uh, more up to you to choose kind of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So Vivek shows up. The story flashes back to old Resdane, designated Morrowind, and this is in uh, parentheses zero, during eras now erased. So, Kelpas, maybe? Um, Could could be. Yeah. Jubal begins to monologue over the fabled life of Vivek. He states that a youthful Vivek along his friends Nerevar, Sothasil and Amalexia discovered a hidden cave with a special stone that gave them powers that they used to chase away demons. What does that sound like? the heart of Lorcan, right
1: yep so, you could <laughs> yeah. definitely just have that directly be that if you would like
0: right right um switching now to a different story of vivek's legendary origins designated morrowind one vivek is now a teenager leading a gang of gutter snipes in mournhold he is visited by a masked soldier of the extinct house inderil nerevar who sees something special within vivek vivek eventually becomes a general of house inderil and drives out a horde of demonic ash monsters where it is said that he fought so well he became a god the next fable one known well by the people of velothid is set in a land known as tomorrow wind also dated to an erased era the people of the comic book styled neo-victorian tomorrow wind are being terrorized by strange figures with television sets for heads, transforming their victims to match their odd appearance. Alandro Sol, depicted as a camera-wielding journalist, runs from these monsters and calls for Vivek on his wristwatch. Vivek arrives and picks up Alandro with Muatra. They meet up with the members of the pseudo-sixth house, Almalexia, Sothasil, Moleg Ball, and Dagoth Ur, all seemingly presented in a satirical grasp on real life superhero comics. Elandro Sol recommends that they get Nerevar for help, to which Vivek responds saying, Ha, which one? <laughs> the group descends into an interdimensional tunnel made of liquid video in order to find the intellective, a bionic brain-headed despot from the future, revealed to be Yagram Bagarn. The intellective is accompanied by say essay scientists who are upgrading their master. Alandro Sol, shocked by the current situation, wonders whether the intellective is making another numidium, to which Vivek replies that he's buying one instead. What? This is probably the most packed paragraph so far. Okay, that was a
1: lot of words. Oh my God! (laughs) How I'm (sighs) going to describe it? Yeah.
0: I. I, I, Okay. So we're gonna have to break this down a little bit. I. I I so wanted to just like immerse everybody in all of this and just let them go. What? But I I think there's enough what going on in each of these paragraphs.
1: Yeah. Each paragraph (laughs) seems like a pretty solid time to chime in with a what. (laughs) So I. Okay. First of all,
0: this is like a who's who. Like everyone's dropping names here. Like you know, like the Tribunal, plus molek Ball plus Ndougath, uh some of these, you know, like Witch Nerevar, um, multi-dimensions are being referenced. Somehow Vivek understands multi-dimensions and is present in each of them. And this current Vivek also remembers those things or something, there's a lot going on here. Also on top of that, in Tomorrow Wind, they're all being represented like superheroes, which I, that would be cool. Can we get like superhero Morrowind comic
1: to Morrowind? That would be great. So (laughs) where do you even begin to unpack this? Um, (laughs) One of the things that um, we're actually discussing in chat while we're going through this, it is interesting how much this has jumped into the future to the point where it it matches a lot of you've got some weird modern day. This is basically jumped from a medieval fantasy to a cyberpunk style (laughs) like existence, which is quite a genre shift for the same game series. Like that's not something you really see. And I always say that that might for me personally be one of the things I have an issue with is the jump is so extreme to me. I find that it loses really like any connection to the series as a whole. Like it starts getting so out there for me. I have trouble connecting it even to what, what this has to do with the, original source material whatsoever um but on the flip side of things we i'm pretty sure we've joked about it on this show uh it's hard when you just have so many hundreds of episodes of podcasts (laughs) recorded (laughs) where where you discuss something one thing that has it's always an interesting plot device for fantasy uh or writing in general when you don't Expand your own technology, and Elder Scrolls thousands of years go by, and there's like no technological advancements for the most part. Right. So it would actually make kind of more sense that you would get to a point like this. the The situation is there was no buildup to it. It's Morrowind ends, and Kirkbride's next interpretation is so far flung in the future. You have. Y- A lot of these mysteries that were left, you know, in terms of Vivek, what happened to Vivek? Well, the next from Kirkbride's perspective, time we see Vivek, he's in this future city with people in cults that have robotic TV heads. It's like it's Mm -hmm. quite the jump. It's quite the jump. And it's it's a weird twist on the series, which I could see people liking the change because it's very drastic. It's very weird. But at the same time, for me, I'm just like, okay, well, we, uh, we really, so we're just living on the moon with space people literally at this point is where we've devolved to pretty much. Yeah.
0: I I think the, one of the ways to consider this is if there are multiple worlds, multiple dimensions, multiple Kelpas, which seems to be a very, uh, concept, that this is being written from a different... Uh, a different Kalpa than, say, the the one that all of the rest of the games in the series are in.
1: Does
0: that make sense? I, I think I think 100%. what he's no, doing I, here. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think what he's doing here is he's going. Okay, so if we if we have this multiverse, for lack of a better term. Um, similar, you know, similar to something you would see in the MCU if you've been watching the Loki stuff or, or, um, a bunch of other sci-fi and fantasy go into this concept of multiverse. But if, if the Elder Scrolls exists within some sort of multiverse, uh, cyclical system and some of the characters in the Elder Scrolls are powerful enough to then somehow exist outside of that, then they would have knowledge of the entire multiverse and this story takes place in a version of Tamriel that doesn't happen in the one, in the games. And one of the things that plays into this is this idea that like, j- just because it's a new Kalpa doesn't mean everything is new and different just because it's a different concept of, of a universe or uh, it's one of the other strands of the multiverse doesn't mean that there isn't also a Vivek and an Almalexia and a Moleg ball or a stand in for those roles that share similarities and that may have something to do with the way that this story is playing out. It's it's a different place. It's just using a lot of the same names because it's a it's a weird mirror universe of the one that we're we're aware of. But right. It, but it has gone down a very different path.
1: Yes. And I don't know, for for better or worse, like I not that this is realistic, but it honestly, to me, even though it's not my thing, is more realistic than the stagnation that actually happens in the series. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's, that's one thing about it that is always one of those. I'm like, huh, it's weird that in many ways, as weird as this is, it's more of a realistic parallel than never really progressing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, if you look at human history, we spent, I mean, uh, <laughs> Homo sapiens have been around uh, some some estimates between 150, 250, 300 thousand years, mm-hmm. and it was only until about uh, what was it 40 thousand years ago that we even had uh, agriculture at all. Yep. And then you get to the end of the Bronze Age was around 2000 BCE, and then we have basically like the you know the Iron Age and the forging of steel and. That that went until, I don't know, another few thousand years. It wasn't until, what, maybe five, 600 years ago that we have the origins of science at all, mm-hmm. right? And then, like, the printing press and all of that stuff. And,
1: and then everything took off. Yeah, <laughs> and,
0: and the that 99% of the knowledge that we have now about the universe, life, and everything, the technology that we have, has come about in the last 150 years. Like, it's... Right. Like, the, the slope of advancement is... Um, uh, exponential. So, yes. So yeah, this could be something that at the end of the fifth era could very well be, be a real thing, but, um, but you're right. Like a world that just kind of exists out, you know, out there for thousands and thousands of years and doesn't advance at all. is a little bit weird, but then again, maybe with magic,
1: you don't need to advance. That's always something I've heard, um, from, from like a, how do you explain this trope perspective? And they're like, well, you know, you've got magic and it's like, I totally get that too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess it would be and I not that I disagree, but it would also be more believable if everybody had like telepathy or there's reference to, uh, you know, there are some weird bits in the series Um, in in one of the public dungeons in Elder Scrolls Online, you find out that the Dwemer weren't just telepathic necessarily. They had this weird little helmet apparatus that allowed them to use like tonal frequencies to contact each other. Right. And I'm like, okay, so cell phones, like cell phone hats. So it's like, it's, I guess what it is, is when, This much technology is thrust to the forefront. It's a little more jarring than kind of subtly having it floating around in the series or Mm -hmm. total stagnation, which fits with the theme maybe more, but is less quote unquote realistic or probable. I I guess probable is a little better than realistic because none of this is supposed to be realistic. That's not really the point.
0: All right. Well, let's let's get back to the uh, the summary here, because (laughs) we're already like uh, half an hour plus in and we got to get through all this. So um, (laughs) so we'll try to we'll try to keep it going. Um, Jubal is shown sitting in a study. He breaks away from the Tomorrow Wind story, stating that after the return of Numidium, time stopped making sense. And the inhabitants of Tomorrow Wind were forced to live inside the moon in an event known as Landfall. However, Jubal believes he was. He has found a way to escape from landfall. He also believes his ancestor Alandro Sol knew how to escape too. The setting returns to Tomorrowwind in a reminiscent documentation of the whole ordeal. Alandro Sol narrates his memories of Vivek and the pseudo sixth house, praising them as super people capable of doing the impossible to save the world. He concludes by saying that he can't imagine a world where their kind of impossible isn't possible back to the old soft marketplace jubal tells vivek he is not supposed to see him yet vivek then teleports himself and jubal back to the Sol under manor where jubal states that the people who just witnessed him teleport are going to think he is cheating vivek vanishes after jubal turns his back on him which makes jubal believe vivek has forgotten the things he had once said a flaw he intends to fix Following this, Jubal walks over to his balcony and calls, calls upon his servitor to send a micro wasp missile message to Halalu here immediately. <laughs> this is like, there, there's so much in this part that is... <laughs> like super people it's going back and forth between the setting of tomorrow wind and then all Asatha in the marketplace and Jubal talking with Vivek and Vivek and, forgetting things that and then realizing that he shouldn't be teleporting people
1: because he's quote cheating cheating what che- cheating cheating at, how? at life right che- cheating at life i will say this is totally surface level too but i, I can't with tomorrow wind <laughs> i just <laughs> i mean i get it like because i mean when you think about it like uh, new england okay all you did was just add new to england it's the same thing so tomorrow wind isn't even that but it's oh my god it sounds so cringe (laughs) yeah 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 no totally it sounds like one of those movies that gets like a well that was a that was clearly a c-minus yeah. <laughs> right. On the flip side, landfall I think is a really cool name for like a catastrophic event. so oh, yeah, yeah. That that sounds awesome. It's like Redfall before Redfall was a different game entirely, and the community had to understand that they weren't all correct. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was not Elder Scrolls six. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. So here, why don't we take a break because
0: we're halfway through the the episode. We're gonna go thank our patrons, and then we'll come back with the second half of the summary because this isn't the end of how weird it gets.
2: The skies are marked with numberless sparks, each a fire and every one a sign.
0: All right, here we are in the middle of the show, thanking our patrons. And you know what, Lotus? We hit 50. We hit 50. We have 50 patrons. Welcome to our new patrons, and thank you especially to our Tier 5 patrons who get a call out every week. Daniel O. and Noodle Al Dente. Thank you, friends. And thank you to all the patrons, including our, you know, Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, and Tier 4 patrons. If you'd like to join us on an episode of the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, which will be in two weeks on the 29th, at the end of the month then if you are a tier four supporter or higher then you get to join us and we can talk about whatever topics you want you know what i think would be really fun lotus is to discuss some of um some of our patrons own like head that they've mm-hmm. come up with just playing through the games things that may or may not have a whole lot of you know truth or you know, I
1: mean in Sea in Chaser's game, there are no
0: divines. So there are we, no divines. Yeah. Like he, we already <laughs> knew his that. headcanon Yeah. I so, love it. Yeah, yeah. But I think this would be really cool, like a headcanon episode. So if you want to talk about your headcanon and your experiences playing these games, then come on. Join join the cr- join the club. Join right. the club, friends. Maybe we could hit fifty five patrons by the end of the month. That would be Insane! That would be amazing. And was
1: storm Stormcloak actually a plant? Who knows? <laughs> he, yeah, who knows? Um, <laughs> was he an actual physical plant? Maybe. Yeah, was he actually Nerdroot? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, come, come and join us. And um, anybody who signs up gets ad-free episodes a day early. You also get the extended versions of many of the episodes, which either have, you know, wacky, silly banter in the beginning or the end, or sometimes some continued discussion about some of the things that came up in the episode with the people in our chat and that stuff gets kind of you know cut off for the recorded versions but if you're a patron you get all of that stuff including much of that for episodes that have already come out because all those old episodes are, are there ever since we started the patreon which was like episode i don't know eight or something like that so um you get lots and lots of stuff so come come join us join the club and we would love to see you thanks again to all of our patrons
1: We
2: will see you, starside. Yes, yes, you're entirely brilliant. Conquering madness and all that. Blah, 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 blah.
0: All right, so back to the summary. The scene cuts to a corner club in Aldsatha where Jubal is having his bachelor party. Remember, he's getting married. The regular patrons have been replaced with strange guests, including many gods and demigods. Must be a popular guy. Yep, Jubal wears or band- a free buffet, <laughs> free buffet. They'll show. Up for- That's how you get them. That's how the summoning always works. Summoning works 100 percent when you when you offer a free buffet. Yep. Um, <laughs> Jubal wears bandages over the stumps where his hands used to be. Mm. This is the first reference to anything having to do with him having lost his hands. I, yeah. <laughs> it sure is <laughs> as he does not recognize many of the guests Jubal grows nervous but Halalu here assures him that he'll be fine this is like okay so d- quick side note I I get migraines and things you guys know this sometimes we've had to miss episodes or whatever or, or Lotus fills in for me on an episode I can't make so I take I take these like med, this medication that messes with my brain, and so every night I have the weirdest dreams because of this medication, and it's kind of like wearing on me now because it's been like a year of this stuff, and I like they, I have a certain hesitance to go back to sleep, not because they're nightmares, but because it's just super weird and everything feels really real. This feels you like dream
1: in Coda? is this that this feels like a right nightmare now?
0: dream from, from from my brain. That's what this feels like. Um, and it goes on, it says Jubal goes to speak with some of his divine guests, including Morihaus, who we've mentioned before, right? He was the friend of uh, Pelinal. Yeah, Morihaus back, just hanging out. Yeah, he's just hanging out. A history tree somehow shows up at the party, right? I guess it just grew there. Um, and all Amal- the rogue one from Skyrim. <laughs> and Amalekia, while drunk, he gets into a particularly heated conversation with Akatosh. Can you imagine having a conversation with the dragon time god? Um, whom he ridic- ridicules for failing to keep his control over time. Well, I guess that's a pretty good um, complaint. As the argument continues, Jubal eventually tells Akatosh to go away as he is drinking with the groom of his brother's dead body.
1: I. It's not even the weirdest thing they've said so far. So this no. one doesn't even catch me off. It's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> no yes it's just weekend at bernie's here yeah, yeah. Like, nobody's gonna get that reference so,
0: somebody's like walking Lorcan around like what is going on here yeah a- why not as akatosh vanishes talos approaches jubal congratulating him but jubal tells him to go away too calling him a virus as talos angrily backs away Kine confronts jubal and insists that he apologize to talos immediately making amends jubal sits with talos where they both continue to get even more intoxicated so (laughs) he's drinking with talos and talos is getting drunk too jubal and talos then decide to leave the party holding each other up for support like two buddies like leaving a bar (laughs) contemplating the argument they had they just had talos demands to know why jubal called him a virus jubal replies saying the reason for this insult was because talos had fed off the mastery like a virus something he doesn't take any particular offense to as the alternative situation would have required one of them to win at the expense of the other this is like I feel like this is referencing things that are like on the
1: edge of my brain and I just don't see clearly and this is my problem is I find coda is a lot of referencing things that Michael Kirkbride hasn't written yet. And they ex it's discussed as if, well, clearly, you know what I'm talking about, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, no, you haven't written it yet. Why would I know what you're talking about? And that's, yeah, it's because to your point, the way that they're worded and talked to and, and stuff, I mean, the actual readings of code are a little more script, like since this is the condensed thing, but like, <clears throat> it's weird because a lot of these seem like it's referencing things you should know, or Mm. it talks to you in a way that, well, if you're up to date on the series, you would know this, like, you know, the Lord of this, this is, but it's like that Lord doesn't exist. So there's the difference between trying to analyze what it could be and what symbolism it could be, or which which is why I, I'm like, yes, since none of this really exists, it it doesn't do anything for me because it doesn't captivate me because I feel like I'm just writing all of the stuff you didn't write, which right, isn't right. my preferred way of consuming media. I would rather write my own book if I want to do that and I'm a bad writer, so I don't do that. <laughs> and what else is interesting about this is that like references to
0: Talos here. Um, is it Talos as Kirk? Uh, Kierkegaard (laughs) that's a philosopher Uh, Kirkbride envisioned at the time of writing Morrowind and his head version of Talos or is it Talos that we know more about due to Skyrim or is it the Talos that we know even more about due to Elder Scrolls Online and does that stuff even make sense with the whole virus concept you see what I'm saying like Kirk Kirk Gard. Yeah. Sorry. Kirk Bride. <laughs> I'm just mixing up words all over the place. This thing's breaking my brain. Um, so I'm sure people have a hundred theories about these things because obviously they do. So let's, let's well, get on with it.
1: On, we- on that note, just yeah. before we do move on. So we've been talking about Vivek. Okay. Is Vivek a ghost? What, what canon ending? And one of the things that I appreciate uh fragile shark uh, confirming for me, all of a sudden I'm like, wait, Mom Alexi is dead too. She died yeah. before Kirkbride even left like right. this is, and hers isn't hers isn't ambiguous. She's dead. like oh yeah. <laughs> spoilers in the tribunal expansion murder orgy she she, she kills so she dies like yeah it's she goes nuts like that that one's not even ambiguous so she's just hanging out she's back i guess that's fine mother morrowind is apparently also eternal and lives on the moon so
0: right no it's it's clearly a different timeline because the numidium oh like, yeah continued sieging alinor forever
1: right. um the yeah, uh which, that's you know that's that timeline and and to that point dragon breaks as a concept which are really neat for the series but they're also a get out of jail free card that can be used Mm -hmm. you can drag and break your way into this if you want like and it doesn't even that's why i don't get too hung up on yeah lore canon because it's like well i mean everything and everything happened all the same is time the fact that there is no definitive just a single timeline so right right all right so it goes
0: on it says talos and jubal Sol exit the uh, subterranean tunnels leading to the surface of the moon there jubal points to the remains of Nern, stating that the arena Remember how Nern used to be called the arena? (laughs) It was where they used to live. Uh (laughs) Jubal goes on to say that from the beginning, the only reason they were put there was to fight, which is a notion he doesn't quite understand. Talos, as he begins to transform into Lorcan, tells Jubal that he is lying and that everyone, or I'm sorry, anyone who has cut off their own hands already understands. Jubal had the arena in reach, but decided to refuse it he's turning into Lorcon. So is this, is this a hint that Talos and Lorcon were always
1: the same? Right. That's th- which I guess uh, to be fair, I had been a while since I had reviewed this, but when, when this part came up, it was like, maybe that lends the credence to a lot of people's idea that, talos's Lorcan. it's like it seems like it's actually much more from this than i ever remembered it's like oh okay so that's that's where people were grabbing that idea right right hey i mean there
0: are some other similarities like you can, there, there you can are, make that argument sure
1: yeah th- this is an interesting one that's like oh okay yep if if you go by kirkbride then actually yeah it seems like this could definitely be a thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: knowing time time was almost up jubal begins
0: to meditate meditate <clears throat> sorry and just as Lorcan decides to leave jubal takes back his insult of calling him a virus and instead refers to him as a preacher i guess concept like preachers preach uh ideas and ideas spread like viruses that could be a thing as he sits meditating jubal lun is finally visited by the massive spiky numidium massive spiky numidium jubal greets the Numidium. hello giant thing uh, who only replies with empty speech bubbles? Like this is, I guess this is written like it's a, a visual novel, right? So yeah, if they just, would not be saying anything. Like what would what would the use of putting an empty speech like just like dot 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 maybe? Um, yeah,
1: it, it's it's like you're typing in an MMO and the little speech bubble comes above somebody's head, but nothing comes just out. Dot dot dot. I yeah. assume that that's. And and given the circumstances, I assume that's literally what's popping out of people's heads during this, with actual like, sounds, because it's like, okay, this is clearly the type of situation we're in. So it's like, yep, people are manifesting little speech bubbles. I assume. I guess so, right? And it makes sense if this was like
0: the, if that's the concept, is it's a visual novel. So let, let's review this. Jubal um, greets the Numidian, who only replies with empty speech bubbles, stating he has to kill it now. Hello, Numidian. I must kill you. As he promised no tricks, the Numidium agrees to shrink to Jubal's size for the time being. Jubal decides to start his confrontation with the contrarian Numidium by reciting scriptures from each of their respective cultures, the Dunmer and the Dwemer. Beginning with the words of his people, Jubal delivers a line from Sermon 11 from Vivek's writings. According to the codes of Mephala, there is no difference between the theorist and the terrorist. Even the most cherished desire disappears in their hands. This is why Mefala has black hands. Bring both of yours to every argument. The one-handed king finds no remedy. When you approach God, however, cut both of them off. God has no need of theory, and he is armored head to toe in terror. 36 Lessons of Vivek, Sermon 11. So this, this goes on to explain why his hands were cut off, because of this right here. Yep. Knowing every assertion made makes the Numidium want to destroy more and more, Jubal continues with the words of the Dwemer, in which he simply repeats, no, over and over again. <laughs> Jubal states that while the Numidium wants to, wants to think of its philosophy as never underestimate the little guy, it is really only coming off as a brat, which gets nobody anywhere. <laughs> what? jubal goes on to reveal that the numidium was itself a disappearance the disappearance of the dwarves their attempted escape from existence which begs the question of why the numidium keeps trying to come back jubal asks the numidium if it has some sort of unfinished business to which the numidium replies saying
1: maybe (laughs) i love how nonchalant that lies just like Like, yeah yeah (laughs) maybe robotic shrug
0: (laughs) this makes jubal incredibly frustrated as that is the magic word and they both promise to not use any tricks like (laughs) the numidium reiterates stating gray area gray maybe oh so maybe he's referencing the gray maybe maybe the medium is a philosopher here With these words said, Jubal's assumption of the Numidium was proven correct, and he yells at it that the whole time all it wanted was to win, which the Numidium affirmed with a simple yes. (laughs) Jubal, who had finally gotten what he wanted from the Numidium, apologizes to it before decapitating it with an empty speech bubble. So this breaks the the fourth the fifth wall? I don't know how many walls we've broken at this point. Grabs oh, the too speech many. bubble no left. <laughs> from the animation and chops the Numidium's head off with the empty speech bubble. While Jubal yep. lay exhausted over the Numidium's corpse, the Digitals were turning saying, saying that there is no more wheel or lull and that the time for Union and Amaranth has come. This is like ushering in the end time, right? The next day, Jubal is ready for his wedding, clad in the brass shell of the defeated, defeated Numidium. As he is preparing, however, the room is flooded with Morag Tong assassins, led by here. A micro wasp missile appears and begins drilling into Jubal's forehead. Jubal tells his old friend to call it off to no avail. Here, only replies, stating that this is painful for him too. Jubal growing ghost hands... Pulls out the wasp himself and proceeds to kill off the Morag Tong assassins. While fighting, Jubal asks here what hurt him the most, which here discloses was that Jubal never told him what the Wheel of Lull had said.
1: <laughs> I don't even. Uh... I don't even know where to start with this part. How about we we start with just like so? All I can. <laughs> Again, I if this is your type of writing, that's I don't mean to disparage you um, because I do like a lot of Michael Kirkbride's ideas. But the the one thing that I just like imagery to these things when when listening to this, one of my favorite images of this is is just casually a weird thing like oh it's just drilling into my forehead would you please make this stop and it's like nah i can't help you man sorry it
0: hurts me too friend yeah but i have no, to sorry. do it well fine <laughs> i'm going to spawn ghost hands out of my nubs which i cut out off of my nubs intentionally in order to not to have hands but now i do have hands but now
1: i do have hands because right. it's convenient to me to have hands because i need to so pull I things have, something out of my head right so so i do that in this just weird for the sake of weird situation as far as i'm concerned but the thing that i <laughs> i just love is the idea of just all of these morag Tong assassins literally just hanging out having snacks because you know it's a wedding and just not really doing anything. They're just there for some reason other than people know what Morag Tongs are. And he just goes on a killing spree and just like wipes all of these people out, just obliterating them. And fragile shark actually brings up i i appreciate everybody's like input through this uh up front from the live chat because there's some there's so many interpretations to this stuff i i love hearing different ones yeah. the morag tong could possibly be a reference to uh an aforementioned black hands of mufala which I, that's pretty cool because even though the morag tong is like this the, the kind of like other assassins guild you've got the very blatant tie in to the dark brotherhood as well. So it's like, that's, that's an interesting, uh, like interpretation of that as well. But it's just the scene itself to me is so completely ludicrous. And that's just kind of, I don't know. Call me too literal, but that's one of the things that I get so hung up on this where it's just like everything describing weird scenes for the sake of being like, I can out weird myself in the last paragraph. I'll show you. (laughs) Right. Right. That's where we get each subsequent thing. And it's like, there's snippets of useful story in and amongst all of the, I've always described it as weird for the sake of weird. So it's like that it's not that they're devoid of usefulness or actual like content. It's just they're they're done in such a way that it's like it's almost intentionally obtuse or peculiar to live up to its own need to be obtuse and peculiar even though you're explaining something that maybe wouldn't be that if you didn't go out of your way to make it so strong in that direction.
0: Right, right. It's this writing and, and other stuff like uh like the lessons of Vivek, it, they're all almost 100% symbolic. Like it's almost all symbolic language which makes me wonder why cast it in the form of a story like does that make sense like yeah and it's kind of like i don't i like the reason why you have a story is so the story can be followed and you can you have uh for example the you know the arc of um uh like a champion or a um what's it called the um uh Uh, The hero's journey, that's what it's called. So you have, like, the hero's journey, right? And these things, like, this harkens back to some sort of hero's journey kind of story. But it's all done in such symbolic way. It's, like, I I get that it's, like, pseudo-religious in that sense. But in the pseudo-religiousness, it's it's like another step into the obscure where everything is a reference to something and it, nobody's it is. actually saying <clears throat> the like the thing that it actually means uh, and so you have to dig it up like you have to go okay like maybe is a reference to the gray maybe what is the gray maybe it's this you know like so it, it, it's it's a
1: breadcrumb trail to another breadcrumb trail and it's that's kind of what gets weird about it but also to both fragile shark and benefactor's point in chat is you know in relation to cuz kirkbride's referencing his own 36 lessons which he wrote for the main series and they're part of the canon series right. for what that's worth for everybody um the the like joke where i said you kind of need an encyclopedia to reference all the references it's actually more so when you look at michael kirkbride it's he's his own encyclopedia to himself because without understand, like you're dissecting michael kirkbride and his writings as much as the story that is being portrayed i find a lot of times right which right gets weird to your point because then finding the actual kernel of if everything is symbolic then what is, is- literal yeah exactly that and makes sense it's, like there's yes.
0: no like it when everything becomes symbolism there's no literal core it's just here's like all symbolism does is it points to a greater or deeper concept or truth but in this mm-hmm. case in this case concept so if that's what this is doing then why not just have a bulleted list of concepts Right? You see what I'm saying? Like, it it doesn't. If it doesn't actually take you on the journey of a literal thing, then is it like? Then what is the point of it other than to be obtuse?
1: Which, again, there's like an air of mystery around that. Like to to your point, like when something's obtuse. Like, we'll go with a more concrete example in this series. I like the level of obtuseness and mystery surrounding the Dwemer. I don't really want concrete answers um, to what happened there. Like Mm -hmm. it's got this mystery and no clear answers type of thing to it. And that's part of its appeal. This to me is almost like a far, far more intense version of there is you, you're, you're tracing these lines and finding these different things to different ideas that he has and concepts that he's trying to explain. And like, I can totally understand why that's fascinating. And it's too much for me. Like it's, it's too many. We'll interpret this to interpret this and to interpret this, 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 and and so on and so forth. It, it loses me in its own own convolutedness personally Mm -hmm. so that's where i think i i struggle to really take much from it other than oh this is a cool setting oh this is a neat little tidbit here or something like that uh i I guess would be the way i would explain it from my, my side right right okay well let's here let's finish
0: the text and then we'll kind of wrap up the discussion on it um so it says flashing back to the time jubal made his first pilgrimage he is greeted by the wheels of lull Remember, the Wheels of Lowell are the remains of Nern, A spirit known as Memory. So now Memory, now we know that Memory and the Wheels of Lowell are the same thing. Memory thanks Jubal for making the pilgrimage as few people make the journey with each passing year. Jubal asks her why, and Memory responds saying that she is leaving soon. Memory continues urging Jubal to not tell anyone she told him this because otherwise they will all come to her and she hates goodbyes. In the present, Jubal continues to kill the remaining Tong assassins, finally getting to Halalu here, whom he proceeds to choke to death. Jubal, speaking over here's dead body, assures that here's house is dead and that he will never get to know what Memory said. Regardless, Jubal tells here to go in peace, knowing that Memory was right, that goodbyes are the worst. <coughs> Jubal now enters the temple of Ald Sotha where the whole Dunmeri race is present for his wedding. Again, like clearly symbolic, right? His wife-to-be, the High is Alma's... Is it
1: symbolic? Are you sure they're just not all in this <laughs> one room? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, his wife-to-be,
0: the High Alma's daughter, is revealed to be Vivek, taken a female form. The priest overseeing the wedding is Lorkhan. As Jubal and Vivek recite their vows, Akatosh... Occupying in the gaping wound where Lorcan's heart once resided, begins eating his own tail. That's a reference to Yakudin lore. Yep. Once Vivek and Jubal kiss, Lorcan's wound is healed and all things are made secure. The story ends with the birth of the first new man, N U M A N, kind of like new metal, <laughs> who will become the next Amaranth. And so, therefore, the cycle continues, like that kind of thing, right?
1: So, okay, so, so Slipknot—that's that's, that's <laughs> what
0: they that became, for. right, right, right. <laughs> and then they play new metal until the end of time or the beginning yeah. of the new time. Um, so, obviously, okay. So, clearly, this is a lot of symbolism, and it's symbolism to to show that, like, all of these things are godlike entities that represent things that form this loop. And the breaking of that loop falls into pieces and then all the pieces come back together. again, in the end, it creates a cycle like all of this stuff, right? Um, there's, yeah. And he, and TES benefactor, he borrows from the works of Alistair Crowley. He, he borrows from a lot of uh, old religious texts and, and those kinds of things. There's a lot of stuff going on here and I get it. Like that's, it's fun to dig into that stuff, but at the end of the day, like what does it really mean? Does it really like, what is the real benefit of this other than just like it's fun to write crazy stuff and then find ways to tie it all together through <coughs> symbolism. Like, okay, like that's cool. Like, but uh, like, is there more, is it telling us anything we didn't already know or is or, everything a reference to something, which is a reference to something else,
1: which is a reference to something else, you know, like, right. Or or to, to that point, um, again, maybe, maybe that's, the master plan behind Michael Kirk right here is to the point of like, does it actually tell us anything we didn't already know? Well, maybe the idea is having it just be so obscure that we overanalyze everything and form our own thing, which in turn made us forcibly kind of make our own story. And his was almost like an outline done in such a strange way that it's to prod us into making our own stories, so to speak. If he doesn't want anything to be canon, maybe this was like the master plan to get everybody to kind of work on making their own canon. If that was like his end goal type of thing. And it's like, well, I don't want to give you too much concrete because then you rely on my story. So I'll come up with a whole bunch of stuff and leave it so open-ended you'll analyze this to the point of making your story. And then, look at all these stories that have been created. And it's like, well, it was, was it were you analyzing what I wrote or were you filling in the blanks that I left type of deal? Which, again, not sure that that's the, the point to it, but it's just another possibility.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what I would think would be. OK, so the other thing that gets me about this writing is um and, and you see this a lot in uh, religious literature, like the point at which and here's just an example. The point at which it talks about the fact that he doesn't have hands because they're both cut off, it very soon follows up with why that is a thing because it has a reference there and the importance of that thing in dealing with the Numidium and the reference. Like all of that stuff is stuck into the same section. It's as if the writer only thought to include that in that section of the writing because that's when it was important to share that information. And a good story will uh, if if a story cares about the reader it will usually take that information and plant it way earlier in the story does that make sense like uh, when yeah. we get a description of um Jubbal, in the beginning why aren't we given the description that like he looks like this he is missing two of his hands he's like like take all the things that eventually have important meaning and explain them or note them or foreshadow them earlier in the story, so that we get those things into our head so that we realize that those are paths. And when we see those things um, come back up later, we remember, oh yeah, I did remember that he didn't have hands. This is why. When you right. take when you take those important details and you only ever mention them in like a one little short section, because that's where they're important for symbolic reason, it makes them feel like, you just came up with that in that moment and then you paid it off right then. And it was like a last minute thought and you didn't actually include it in other stuff earlier. Um, like how many times do you watch a good movie and the things that like the conversations or the things that are brought up in the first act come to fruition in the third act and you go, oh, that's why that's the so it so said that thing. And then this thing happened here at the end. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. You know, like, like, right. That stuff brings you through the story. Like there's, there's a reason why that stuff works. Um, um, and TES Benefactor says Coda is supposed to be a comic, so in a way he missed artwork would it help share the story that is in the text. That's true. That's um, very, but, very but the same true. thing happens, and it's not just Coda, the same thing happens in like um, Vivek's uh, lessons. Yeah, the oftentimes, lessons. Yeah, oftentimes there are concepts that become important in like Lesson 6, and then they're only, they only exist in 6 and 7, and they're not brought back up anywhere else. And they weren't hinted at before that, and there is no further... You know and the idea that like and then once that concept wasn't useful all of a sudden he just grows ghost hands and now he has hands again <laughs> you know like that that's not right. satisfying
1: you know and like i i agree with that um where it, it it does it's tropes are tropes you know when when they're just kind of there until they're not needed. <laughs> right. Which is right. a, it was a weird way of doing things in many cases. Uh, but to, to the comic aspect or, or the, I mean, <clears throat> you know, the graphic novel kind of way, one very strong point to this series, which I strongly recommend it is free. You can just Google Coda with a zero and you'll get there. Um, you, the artwork to this even though i don't like coda um the artwork is really cool <laughs> yeah. uh re- really cool and i actually think if you like this it it adds so much to it so like just the text are fine but like add the artwork to it and i actually feel that it adds a lot to it
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah, um, Fragile Shark and chat says, or ghost hands are themselves a metaphorical portrayal of his inability to commit to cutting off his own hands. But that doesn't... He already, he already gained the benefit of cutting off his own hands because he was able to destroy a god, meaning the Numidium. Um, and then the hands were like and we could we could go into this forever and i am by no means the the end of any concept of of how this lore should be interpreted
1: oh me either if, if i this wasn't is, making that clear enough right this is <laughs> and it's yeah this is like, a discussion is... to
0: get a discussion started right and there are there are definitely people out there who have studied this and will say this is what this sentence means this is what this means this is what this means this is what this means and they will go through everything and they have in their heads what everything means based on reading through all these other works and connecting all dots like i get that and and i'm sure some of them have some really firm reasons for why they believe certain things mean certain things and so therefore this is what this whole thing means and that's great that's awesome and if if you have concepts on that stuff i would love to i would love to hear it because i think that that stuff's interesting i think what lotus and i are saying is that like all said and done is it a bunch of noise for no reason like what is (laughs) what is ultimately of value in this i'm right it's just and is it just fun for the sake of fun because it's like a mind puzzle okay right that's fine And that's
1: i think what it is to get out of it and to the writings themselves the point almost is your interpretation of it like that's kind of what little concrete goal there seems to be in michael kirk writings right is that it's to kind of grab your take on it. Mine might be much more surface level because I'm like, this is flowery nonsense, uh, to (laughs) a series that I like. And I think Michael Kirkbride, um, comes up with some, we made reference to this last episode where I think he comes up with a very creative, very unique because it takes, uh, you know, we had mentioned his connections to real world things or other writers or other stories, but I love the way, I mean, some of my actually did not know that like um, who who is the author that image? Well, whatever it's. Oh, um, Alistair Crowley, I guess I, I did not. I I didn't Mm -hmm. know that that was a reference to somebody specifically. Like, I don't know who that is. So uh, in in that example, it's like, I didn't even catch that, but like, you know, for example, followed up with like Dune or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Like he, he draws from everything. fiction is usually drawn from other fiction and you make it into your own. I love his creations because Morrowind, as I've long said, is my favorite video game. And that is so Michael Kirkbride in a video game. Like it really is. And I've always said that I think that Michael Kirkbride is super great when he has run through at least one editor Sure. And yeah. then it makes something that I truly love. Right. The problem is I don't like unshackled Michael Kirkbride. It gets too weird, too metaphorical, too self-referential, where it's like, I I can't keep track of you referencing other things that you made up that you referred to in another reference of something you made up. It's like that, that to me is so just stretched out and and unclear that I my interest wanes. whereas when right. it's consolidated down I think there's like that's when he's at his best writing is like oh condense what he's saying and man you get some cool stuff yeah ultimately
0: I think from the perspective and we've got to wrap up the show because we're running out of time we got the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> lore cast starting in 15 minutes yeah who Ramlong. Um,
1: Koda ran long <laughs> yeah imagine that uh, but
0: like when it really comes down to it does this have any bearing on actual in-game stuff, right? Is this Does this have any bearing on what we understand about the lore already? And if the one thing that we can gather from this is Kelpas are real, alternate universes are real, cyclical time is a real thing, that's helpful to know that much. But then again, he did write the whole thing in order to say nothing is canon. So... <laughs> does it does it actually have any real implication on the game that we love and the reason that that's why we're talking about it i don't know Uh, if you come at this from a creative writing standpoint and go is this an interesting way of stringing together a bunch of words that refer to other things in a very complex manner that have some sort of secret meaning that's cool like yes maybe but does it actually affect the game that we're playing and our understanding of that game That's a, that's a very different thing.
1: Yeah. And without being weird myself, uh, (laughs) you kind of run into this problem of if you want to say that what he was writing here is yes. Like that's, that's the goal is that like nothing should be, you know, nothing should be canon and it should all be open-ended and weird and whatever Mm -hmm. you get that side effect, which makes it so that, well, I guess it doesn't really matter what happens in the series and it also by default makes this really not matter. Right. Or you don't think this matters because it's super a uh, uh, obscure and bizarre, in which case it doesn't add anything to the series and it doesn't matter. So no matter what, I tend to think this doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> but on the flip side, I totally understand the people who really dig this stuff. And it's like, ooh, this is like this is the outside canon material that a lot of people love totally understand it's a little right. beyond right. my interest level but i get it yeah i i get it
0: too like I, you know being somebody who you know has a religion background like
1: I, I, right the symbolism I it it in religious quotes, works by the way i don't makes, mean that i actually get it right <laughs> right right right, right. You, get, you, get their, you get their you get their
0: love but. of it right like <laughs> yeah. like and, and and i like that too like i enjoy you know like the love of religious works and their understanding the symbolism. Um, but what's interesting about religious works is that sim- the symbolism is, was inherent to the culture that wrote it. So if you were in that culture, you would have understood what it meant. It wouldn't have needed to be decrypted. Like, right. um, the phrase that I like to use in reference to this is if I was to write a short story and I had one of the characters say, what the heck, I told you a thousand times that's not meant to be literal. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and we all understand that because we use that phrase in our culture. But if I was right. to write that in a story and we go a thousand years into the future, somebody reading that a thousand years from now may not understand that that's not meant to be literal. Um, it's and honestly, that's the way religious works work is that the culture that wrote them, if you were in that culture and you read that, you would get the symbolism. You would get that like this character is a joke character. This character is symbolic of something else, you know, like and that's what we're missing here is that it's we why nobody lives nobody lives here right nobody right. lives in <laughs> right. like the only person who lives in the culture of coda and the the stories you know the lessons of vivek is yep. michael kirk pride like he's the right he's the sole inhabitant of this culture right and, and, and some people try to learn it but he's you by get himself.
1: Yeah, right you get those different interpretations because it's us looking from the outside in and you know, to have it just as video games as a whole localization. I mean, it was much more common back then. Um, but, you know, an example would be like Final Fantasies. When those were localized, sometimes you lost story parts or story parts changed because they're like, people aren't going to get this. Yeah, like if we put this absolutely. to the west. So that that is on full display when you have religious texts and stuff like that, it's a lot of it is in in You know, short terms, it's localization to your life as opposed to from one language to another. But like right. it's a culture to a culture. So it's it's interesting. Yep.
0: Hey, us we got to wrap up the episode, buddy. Yes. <laughs> Are you going to be fun. late for your next show? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. Hey, you know, what's fun about the next show is that um Stuart, who does the show with me, Dungeons and Dragons, Lorecast, is a big fan of uh, Bethesda games, you know, Elder Scrolls and Fallout and all that. Um, They were doing a giveaway. He's in Australia and it was only available to people in that side of the world. He won the giveaway. He got really? a, fall, he got a fallout chair and a bunch of other stuff.
1: Like he was I one of the winners. That. I actually reposted that for Isn't that all amazing? my New Zealand and Australian friends. Yeah. I was like, Man, I wish I could, I, I want the same that thing. stream deck holder. Yeah, I, 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 I want did. that pit boy stream deck holder. It's so yes. cool.
0: Yeah. I did the same. I saw that thing, that giveaway. <laughs> and I met. I told Stuart, I told the guys from roll the cast who are also on the robots radio network. And I was like, Hey, you guys might be interested in this. Go ahead and enter. Yeah. Stuart won. That's nuts. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, but what, what do you have going on? What do you want to share before we head
1: out? uh actually until next show i have straight up nothing uh because i won't be here <laughs> You're on vacation be, yeah i'm on vacation so don't look for my streams i won't be able to join them <laughs> on tales of tamriel i will not exist until our next show most likely nice hey if they so, need if
0: they need another uh someone to fill your seat let them know I, I like actually i should i was gonna say you can be meet new me i could be in the new you yeah i like this idea yeah we both have beards it's true and, and we're wearing hats and, and glasses. We're wearing hats we're like the same person yeah. Sort of, um, it, it, pretty much. <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome, dude. The same. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy right. your vacation. And one hundred percent, I will. Yeah, and uh, I don't know what we have going on here. I've, of course, we've got all the shows at robotsradio.net, all the fun stuff going on with, you know, the network and all that stuff. Um, we have the Rocket League, the Rocket League, the Rocket Club. Rocket <laughs> League is the game my son was playing earlier with his friend. Uh, the Robots Radio Rocket Club. So, if you're interested in doing your own podcast and want some help with that, I'm happy to do that. We've got a bunch of awesome creators that are part of that community and check out robotsradio.net for that stuff and all the other shows on the network. If you're looking for more shows, we've got all sorts of lore shows and a bunch of other stuff as well about all the video games and stuff you guys love. So thanks everybody for tuning in until next time. Try not to go crazy. Um, decoding coda and if you have any thoughts on any of this stuff you'd like to share we'd love to hear from you on the robots radio discord all right everyone we'll see you next time stay tuned if you're interested in dungeons and dragons which you should be stay tuned for that that will be coming in just about 10 minutes all right guys see you later bye everybody Thanks for listening to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please reach out to us at elderscrollslorecast at gmail.com or on Twitter at ESOLorecast. I really appreciate you listening, and I'd love to hear from you soon.
1: You've been listening to the Robots Radio Podcast.
0: Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Are you an avid player of the Elder Scrolls Online and looking to take your game to that next level? Well, the Red Diamond Courier podcast is here to help. I'm Bob Chachinsky. And I'm DogBark24. We are two experienced players aiming to help others learn and improve through in game knowledge and references. From PvE to PvP and everything in between. There's sure to be something for you in the Red Diamond Courier. We We hope hope you you check
2: check us out. out. Thanks.
1: Hey, I'm Pylon. And I'm Doc. And if you've ever played an Elder Scrolls game, you've probably used UESP.net to help you find information about a quest, dive deeper into lore, or really learn anything about the Elder Scrolls. But did you know we have a podcast too? Every week we bring you the latest in Elder Scrolls news, dig deeper into topics surrounding the game, and have a ton of fun while doing it. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher by searching the unofficial Elder Scrolls podcast. Can't wait to see you all there.
0: Once upon a time,
1: 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks blue. That's when things got
0: interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian Wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now.